We're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. And I've got um, some sermon notes, and I'm wondering, Nick, could you hand out one to the people over on this side? And um, Ron, would you do the same for the people on this side? As I um, was reviewing things last night, it seemed, um, even though you've got a blank sermon sheet usually in your worship folder, it seemed like maybe a note that had a few of my PowerPoint slides, the um, content uh, there for you might be helpful. And so we're looking at Luke 9, verses 51 to 56. The Lord wants to speak to us about rejection and about how Jesus faced rejection. And so Luke 9, starting with verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. This is the reading of God's word for us today. There's a poem that I ran across as I was doing some research on rejection. And I think that it describes some of the darkness, some of the loneliness of rejection. The writer wrote this. I put myself out there, hopeful, earnest, smiling. Can I go? Include me, please. Unnoticed, unincluded. Unloved. Hello, I'm right here. Not seen. Not wanted. Not loved. Giving up. Hurts to be left out. Tired of feeling defeated. Rejection. Rejection. It's such a common experience for all humans. Started out, we rejected the Lord in the Garden of Eden through Adam, the first human, Adam and Eve, rejected the Lord, and then that separation. And since that time, there's been rejection and the brokenness of sin in every one of our human relationships. Rejection can be defined as the denial of love and acceptance. It's destructive It's very, very common in pastoral counseling situations. Quite often, somehow or another, you get back to the root of rejection as you listen to people's story. When people are rejected, quite often what happens is a self-defense is they build a wall because they don't want to be hurt anymore, right? It, It hurts. It risks to want to be loved, right? Here I am, and then not being noticed, that hurts. 
And so sometimes you see these walls build up around people's hearts. They're guarding themselves. With rejection, there can often come bitterness. We get hurt and then we get bitter. We're angry. That bitterness can either turn inward and become depression or it can be turned outward and um, reject everybody else before they reject us. And so bitterness can start to creep in and it defiles many. You see that in families, right? If there's a bitter parent, pretty soon the kids, they're, they're really grumpy too and they're not happy. And, you know, you just start to see this defilement of many as Scripture talks about. So forms of rejection, denial, you put in a proposal and it gets rejected, right? That's one form of rejection. Refusal, shunning, ignoring, neglecting, avoiding, or disapproving. This is Tuki the cat that we inherited from our mother-in-law. When Dane's mom was 90, she decided that she had a lot of love to give yet, and she lacked companionship. And so she decided for her 90th birthday, she would like to get herself a birthday gift. And she went and explored this and researched it all out, and this cat had been um, taken in, you know, in a shelter. And so my mother-in-law said, this is the cat, this is my birthday gift, this is what I'm giving myself, and I hope you guys will all be happy that I'm giving myself Tukey the cat. Well, my mother-in-law had two good years with Tukey, and she just gave Tukey all kinds of love, and Tukey would sit on her lap and lay on her lap, and, you know, they would feed, you know, whatever you do with cats. And um, (laughs) just saying. I wasn't real happy about this, but these um, events. So then mother-in-law had to go into the memory unit, and Tukey needed a house. And so my daughter talked us into taking Tukey the cat. And so Tukey the cat came to live with us, and we became her caregivers. And then Anne wants to come over to the house to see Tukey. And so my mother-in-law comes, and she's all excited to see Tukey. And I don't know if you know about a strong-willed cat or not, but, you know, cats just have a mind of their own. Yeah, can I get an amen? Can I get a witness, right? All right, and so Tukey does not want anything to do with mom anymore. She's gotten used to us being her caregivers. And so she's aloof. She's shunning. My mother-in-law for 30 minutes is just following the cat around the house, and the cat just is not paying any attention. And then you go and pick the cat up and say, here, Tukey, sit on mom's lap, you know, and Tukey sits there for a minute and jumps off. Well... Rejection, a form of rejection. All right, now, if rejection goes deep, sometimes there can get this anger and bitterness and revenge. And so, um, no offense to people that love pit bulls and dog owners, but I just happen to think that maybe pit bulls might represent that kind of like, you know. All right. So, Hebrews 12 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to defile many. So we're going to talk a little bit about Samaria 
And I forgot my pointer, but Samaria is up at the top of that line. Maybe you can see one arrow. The top arrow kind of points to Samaria in the northern kingdom. And then Jerusalem is in the southern kingdom. And um, there's been this rift between them for years. Samaritan-Jewish relations. If you remember the story of the woman at the well, she asked Jesus, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. There was rejection. There had been long-standing rejection going on, and the Samaritans were the ones that walked around with the label rejected. And the Jews had kind of fences around themselves. And so she found it very, very odd that Jesus, a Jew, would be asking her for a drink because they didn't communicate. They didn't talk to one another. You know, they didn't make eye contact. Well, what's a little bit of the history? Um, The Samaritans were a mixed population in Israel after the Assyrian conquest of the northern kingdom. So just think mixed ethnicities. They weren't supposed to mix, but they did. So then also in the history it says that um, the priest from the south married a Samaritan, um, I think it was Sanballat's daughter, from the north. And so that high priest from the south got expelled. And so he went to the northern kingdom and he built a temple up on a mountain near Samaria. And um, they started a worship center up there on the north side and that caused deep and lasting resentment. They developed their own liturgy using their own version of the Pentateuch. And so um, you know how that goes when there's a little difference in liturgy and so forth. Your service goes 30 minutes longer than our service. Oh, my goodness. That's not appropriate worship. So there's this mutual rejection. There's this um, criticism of one another, this mistrust of each other. And you start to see this in this interaction um, with the Samaritans and the disciples. So the Samaritans, let's look at verse 53. It says, but the people there did not welcome him, did not welcome Jesus, because he was heading for Jerusalem. The Samaritans had their guard up. They weren't trusting because he was a Jew. And maybe, you know, I don't know what this particular group of Samaritans, how much they had heard about the situation with the woman in the living well. Was that in their village or was it in a nearby village in that region? But for whatever reason, their guard was up because he was connected with Jerusalem and he was heading back there. And so they viewed Jesus probably through the lens of years and years and years of hurt. Well, that mistrust equals misblessings. And so I was thinking about this, and I went back this week and read through the, all of Luke that we've preached on and we've listened to. And I've seen all the things, I was reminded of all the things that Jesus had done, all the miracles that he has done to this point. And he's wanting to go to Samaria. And I imagine that he would have continued on doing all these wonderful blessings and all these wonderful miracles. And they missed out because they said, no, he's not welcome here. Well, then there's James and John. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? I mean, I can just imagine. Like they're, you know, all right, well, let's think about James and John. They've kind of screwed up lately. They offered to build the 
the tent up when the transfiguration, remember that sermon about the transfiguration? They said, hey, let's just all stay here and we'll build tents. No, guys, this is my son. Listen to him. You're getting ready to go down the mountain. You know, then they had given up on the exorcism, right? They just gave up. Maybe it was a lack of faith in what God could do, but they had given up. So they had been kind of not succeeding. Things hadn't been going so well. And I imagine that they just were hanging on to this one going, no. The Lord sent us his messengers to come and say he was coming here. And I imagine that they were feeling very threatened that they weren't going to be successful. You know, it may be that that was part of the reason they wanted to just quickly call down fire. Maybe they, because they had seen Elijah, had that fresh in their minds about when Elijah had called down fire on the false prophets. And maybe they were thinking, well, this happened before in this region. Let's just do it again. Let's just pray and ask the Lord to send down the fire. Maybe they wanted revenge. Maybe they held on to this bitterness about that um, high priest. You know, maybe their parents and grandparents had told them the story about how this, you know, this was an ungodly thing that happened, and here's what happened, and we had this rift with these people. And so maybe... They just wanted revenge because they really disrespected these people a lot. I don't know if it was bitter roots. I don't know if it was pride. I'm not sure exactly what was their motivation. But we heard last week that sometimes when um, there's pride in the way, that actually the enemy can stop our ears from hearing. Remember that? Remember that? And so they had heard these things that Jesus had told them, Back in Luke 6, he had said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. But were they listening? Were they remembering what they had been discipled and taught? In that same chapter, verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. The disciples had heard Jesus say this. But were they remembering it in this particular moment when the Samaritans said, no, no room in the end for you? They had forgotten, okay, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, that was three chapters back. Maybe that was a year and a half ago. But they had just heard something that was recorded just in the same chapter, you know, chapter 9, verse 5. If people do not welcome you, Leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They had just heard Jesus tell them that when he had sent them out. Well, what does that mean, shake the dust off? Back then there were a lot of prophetic acts, things that they did that symbolized it was a sign. And when they would shake that dust off of their feet, they're saying, I'm not taking responsibility. If you're rejecting Jesus, I'm not taking responsibility for it. That's all they had to do was just shake the dust off their feet. But they're saying, hey, should we call down the fire? We're supposed to be most gracious to the worst person in the story in the Bible because each one of us has sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so we have to turn this around now to turn the camera around off of James and John and off the Samaritans and put it on ourselves a little bit And say, are we ever like the pit balls that are ready to pounce and judge? How are our relationships? How are we doing with our relationships within the church, within our homes, within our um, wherever we live, our roommates? 
And how do we handle rejection or perceived rejection? How are we doing when we, when we sense that somebody's rejecting us? How do we handle that? We, as a group, some of us were meeting here for prayer in motion on Thursday nights. And so our charge was to, to go and to pray around the neighborhood. And then if there were opportunities that we felt like the Holy Spirit was guiding us to offer to pray for people, to go up and make an approach and, you know, just see what was going on and offer to pray. And so some of the teams come back and they're like, oh, man, it was so awesome. And, you know, this person was feeling really discouraged. And the Lord told us that there was going to be this discouraged single mom. Carolyn, I'm remembering, like, you know, there was a single mom. We felt like the Lord was telling us we were going to pray for a single mom. And, yeah, that single mom was out there on break. And, you know, we prayed for her. And she was encouraged. And everybody comes back and we're like, yay. And then there's another group that goes out and said, well, We just walked and we prayed, but we really didn't see anybody. Nothing really jumped out. Nobody really, you know, showed up for us to pray for, you know, and it's kind of like we kind of sag our shoulders a little and like, well, you know, maybe better luck next time as if we believed in luck. But, you know, that kind of sentiment. But yet, is it really true or were they just as successful because they were obedient, right? They were obedient to go out and be available. The outcome wasn't there responsibility it's the lord's responsibility and yet sometimes when we look at these situations we take on this perspective that we had to make this happen and i think that's what was happening with these disciples that they were expecting to make this happen with the samaritans and when they got rejected they took that really personally sometimes we face rejection and when we do i wonder do we think I wonder what's the condition of that person's heart that's rejecting me right now. I wonder how their heart is. I wonder if the person, maybe, maybe that auntie of mine that, you know, always just called me chubby and wanted to shake my cheeks a little or something, you know, and she wasn't kind of mean. You know, I wonder what her heart condition, I wonder what her life had been like. Do we ever stop to think about that? Or we just go, oh, that person really bugs me. And you kind of put up a wall. You shun that person. Other ways that maybe we've experienced um, rejection. If you ever, um, you know, friends that have like different backgrounds, different, maybe they're biracial or something, you know, and you hear their stories, you know. Are they shunned by, you know, just say they're a combination black and white. And, you know, are they shunned by the white community? Are they shunned by the black community? They don't know where they fit. They feel rejected sometimes by both. What about long-standing family feuds? Or maybe just friends didn't invite you over to the party or to the game, and you start to feel rejected. How do we handle that? You know, sometimes we don't know what people's stories are. We're near them, but we don't really know what their story is. And recently... Maybe a month ago, I was scrolling through my Facebook feed, and one of the girls that used to be, Dana and I were in a small group Bible study, and she and her husband joined in just for a short time before they moved. And, you know, I really did not know her story, but this was her Facebook post, and she gave me permission to share this. And this is what I saw on that little Facebook post. It's taken me 27 years to forgive this girl for falling apart. Now I love me 
I love my wife, and I'm thankful for each breath each day, and mostly for forgiveness in Christ and to have been rescued. Kimberly. And I'm like, man, you know, I wonder what she's talking about. And so I Facebook messaged her and just said, do you ever share your story? I'm really curious about that post and about that picture that you posted. And so she um, sent me a note, and um, she said, I'm going to paste a letter that I wrote to my sister that I've only met four times in my entire life. So in it is my story. And so this is her, her um, part of her letter to her sister. Cindy, you came into my life three years ago, and I feel like we haven't talked since, for real. We had pizza and a few laughs. I wish I could have been a better sister to you all these years. First of all, I don't want you to feel sorry for me or anything like that. I'm not telling you this because I need sympathy. Just understanding is all I'm after. Dad didn't handle anything very well. Sad for him, he missed out on having a relationship and being involved with his beautiful, talented, smart children. And the wake of his destructive behavior unfortunately affected us all so very much. I think you and Mike got the worst of his behavior, and Billy and I did as well, Billy probably the least. The greatest pain he caused me was from being completely absent emotionally and physically from my life. Our house lacked love. It was empty and lonely. When I needed him to be my dad, he was working and left us with the housekeepers who beat us and got drunk and made us get out of the car in the middle of the road all before we were five years old. Who knows if there was also sexual abuse involved. It was a crazy time. And when he married Judy, it was clear he didn't love her like he loved my mom. And Judy rejected me entirely. She saw that I looked like my mom so much. I've heard it from counselors and friends, but when I was young, I got the picture that I just wasn't valuable or loved in any way. I lived with him, but he did not pursue a relationship with me in any regard. After my mother died and I was three, he completely abandoned responsibility emotionally for caring for our hearts and life. He even gave us a hard time about financial responsibility as well. So it wasn't easy street, although I'm thankful that we got to be in a nice place and live in a nice neighborhood. Even my friends from back then watched me spiral into a deep depression, and by the time I was 20, I hated my own existence and almost completely self-destructed. On my 21st birthday, with no personal boundaries, or feelings of love for myself, I tried to commit suicide. It was fortunately a failed attempt at eating a whole bottle of sleeping pills by drinking a pint of vodka. Stories. Rejection. Deep rejection. Deep, deep feelings of not having any value or worth. It's our broken condition It may not be the exact same story of our lives, but there's probably some sense of brokenness, some sense of that story that we can relate to, or we know someone that we can relate to. And so the really good news is that Jesus steps in. Jesus steps in. From heaven he comes into our broken state, 
And he steps into rejection. At the beginning of his ministry, do you remember? He stood up and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he said, you know, this, is, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And the people got so irate they wanted to push him over the cliff. Immediately he faced rejection in his ministry. And now he's stepping into the journey to Jerusalem is what they describe these next ten chapters of Luke. The journey to Jerusalem. And how does it start? It starts with rejection. Nope, no room for you here in Samaria. You're going to Jerusalem? Nope, Mm-mm. nope. He's going to face the ultimate rejection in Jerusalem. And so I was praying, Lord, what is the really good news? What is the good news in this, what seems to be just kind of a narrative story, just a little story about him being rejected and they want to call down fire and he has to say no and correct his disciples and then they move on. Where's the really good news? And I feel like he showed me, This is the really good news. These words that are in yellow up on the screen, listen, this is important. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Another version says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. The amplified version says he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And literally it means he stiffened his face to go. Think about going into maybe a doctor's appointment that you're not looking forward to going into and you kind of brace yourself. Here we go. You're going into a conflict and you go and kind of chin up. Ready. All right. He stiffened his face to go to Jerusalem. When we hear that stiffened his face, those that would have been listening that knew the Old Testament would have remembered Isaiah the prophet had said these words, describing one to come. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And the Geneva Study Bible says it this way about this verse. It says, literally, he hardened his face, which means he resolved himself to die and therefore ventured out onto his journey. Friends, this is really good news. He was so determined to reject rejection and to accept you and to accept me and to accept all those who had rejected him. He was so determined, his love was so determined that he set his face to Jerusalem. And then you've got these disciples who are tempting him to call down fire. Let's just get the judgment going now. And Jesus turned and rebuked them. And some of the additional manuscripts add this little section to it. For the Son of Man came to not destroy people's lives, but to save them. This is why he was so resolute on going to Jerusalem, is because he was coming to save. And so the Lord gave Jesus, remember Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was being tempted in every way. Every way that we react to rejection, Jesus would have been tempted himself to react to that kind of rejection and yet 
He was empowered. Love compels him to move forward and to forgive and want to bless the Samaritans. Historically, if we look back in the Kings, and it just so happens that my personal devotions this week have been back in Kings, and I've been hearing what had happened in Samaria earlier where there was all this idol worship and then they built a temple to Baal there. And so there was this incredible idolatry and false worship and Jesus wanted to go and bless them and stay there. That is tenacity. That is love that would accept, that that would reject. The Lord was forgiving and not rejecting his disciples as they were disregarding his teachings, right? Right on the spot, they should have been remembering, and he was forgiving and correcting them, but he wasn't judging them. He was continuing to invite them into this journey. He was continuing their discipleship. Love gave Jesus his tenacious resolve to resist temptation, to call down judgment before its time. There will be a day of judgment, but it wasn't then. If, they, if he had judged then, it would have messed up the whole plan that the Father had for Jesus to go and lay down his life as a payment for our sins. He was so resolved to keep moving into more and more intense rejection. What is our tendency to move away from it, right? You're hurting me. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I'm backing off. And Jesus is moving more and more and more. And the next ten chapters, he's going to be making his way to Jerusalem to show his love for those who did not receive him. Jesus overcomes rejection. This is the rest of Kimberly's story. She's an artist in New York City. She um, is a member of Redeemer Presbyterian Church and on their art team. And she does a lot of her art with butterflies because of that transformation, right, from a caterpillar to a butterfly. And it's kind of in her mind the way it pictures the transformation of Jesus' love in her life. So she continued her story, and I pick it up a little bit later, and she says, from that moment forward, after her suicide attempt, After living in a pit of hell, God rescued me. I take full responsibility for my own choices and the negative talk that led me there. But there was no one to reach into my life at that time and help me see my value and worth. I ended up getting abused by then, and by the time I was 19, I felt like a useless bag of dirt. I lived years with shame and feeling like I couldn't amount to much. All that said, I know it sounds like a little bit of a pity party, But unfortunately, it was my reality. God reached into my life and saved me. He rescued me from this horrible life and has given me a new path. And so I graduated from college at 27 instead of 22. After dropping out of school when I was 21, the Lord restored me, and somehow I graduated with honors. I was led to Christ-centered Bible studies and met new friends that were uplifting and filled with hope and taught me love, and to love myself, and it's taken me 27 years of undoing all that had been conditioned about me to fully forgive myself, and to finally be ready to love me, and be the person I'm destined to be, and to finally flourish in the area I need to be in. My confidence was really, really low for many years, but now I'm excited to move forward. And she tells her sister, I wanted to be really honest with you so that you would know a little bit about my story. 
and you would know the truth. But first and foremost, I've forgiven everyone that has affected me negatively because it sets me free to love again. And the only way I'm able to forgive is because of Jesus, his gospel, and his love. A story of Jesus' love. A story of Jesus' love that goes to the cross, that pulls us out, no matter where we are, no matter what our situation is, no matter how deep the rejection goes, the blood of Jesus, the love of Jesus poured out on the cross goes deeper. He goes deeper. There's parts, maybe even some for us, there's parts of our hearts that are just kind of walled off. And today, the good news is that Jesus determined to go to Jerusalem for you. He determined to go to Jerusalem so that his love would bring rescue to that part that's rejected, that part that needs to hear the love of Christ. Hear it today. The Lord loves you. The Lord loves you. No matter who's rejected you, no matter what you've gone through, the Lord accepts you. There's some steps on your handout. If you need to pray because you've judged somebody, you've caused this kind of damage to a friend, a sister, a brother, somebody in your life, the Lord forgives you, even as he forgave the Samaritans, even as he forgave his disciples. The Lord loves you, and he wants to help you work through that, to confess it, to receive the love of God yourself so that then you can love others. You can go back and say, I'm sorry. Maybe you've been deeply rejected. Maybe you've been wounded in some way. And the Lord helps you to choose to forgive even as Jesus forgave. He helps you to choose to bless and want to bring blessings even as he wanted to do in Samaria. He, he can help you choose to bless somebody that's hurt you. Even as my friend Kim talked about forgiving and blessing because Jesus and the love of Jesus changes our hearts so much that he helps us to share that love, even for people that don't deserve it, because Jesus did it for us and we didn't deserve it, right? Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem so that we can know acceptance. I saw a most beautiful scene in my driveway this week. I walked out the door and saw my husband and my son in this huge embrace. And both of them, their faces are smiling. I'm thinking, what happened? Did Brennan get engaged and I didn't get the memo? You know, like, what in the world? Well, Brennan got accepted into an internship, you know, that he had wanted to get into. And it was just like this, ah, you know, I mean, you would have thought Christmas, New Year's, and fireworks were going off, but that's what it feels like when you're accepted, like, ah, on top of the world. And Jesus wraps his arms around you, and he says, I accept you. I love you. I died for you. And so let the love of God melt your heart. Let him change you so that you're so full of the love of God that it just flows out of you and touches the world around you. Let's pray. And I'm going to pray an old 1800s hymn as our prayer for our church right now.
breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me and fill us with life anew. That as you love, so I may love and do what you would do. Breathe on me, breath of God, until my heart is pure, until my will is one with yours, to do and to endure. Breathe on me, breath of God, fulfill my heart's desire, until this broken part of me glows with your heavenly fire. Breathe on me, breath of God, so shall I never die, but live with you the perfect life of your eternity. Lord, breathe on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord for his love. And so some of you have listened to this and you're going to respond by saying praise the Lord. And some of you are going to have maybe some prayer work to do. And if you need help, like my friend Kimberly needed some help, there's people that would love to meet with you and pray with you, talk with you, listen to you. And so be sure and don't leave here if you need a a hug and you need some um, prayer, I encourage you, just minister to one another today before you leave. Also know that there's people that would pray for you today, and Pastor Dave and I um, are available as well. One thing that um, this church is eager to get started is some more training in prayer so that we all feel comfortable praying with each other. And so starting this Thursday night at 7 o'clock for four weeks, we're going to have pray with me training to just learn how to pray with each other. And so all kinds of situations, it's going to be super practical. And so I hope that um, I'll see many, many of you out this Thursday night for that. And then next Sunday night, the Lord willing, Pastor Dave's going to have a special meeting here to be able to share more in detail about his trip um, to South Korea and how he saw the Lord work. And so I hope you'll put that on your schedules as well. He'll be getting on a plane um, I believe it's this evening about 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock in Seoul, I believe, South Korea. He'll be traveling through the night, landing in Detroit, Lord willing, around 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, and then back into Grand Rapids mid-afternoon, and then a couple of days to recuperate, at least a couple of days. So I know you'll be eager to see him, but please give him a little space to sleep, <laughs> because on his trip over there, he didn't sleep at all um, on the plane. So anyway... Um, Yes, we're excited, aren't we, to have Pastor Dave come back. Receive this blessing from the Lord, and this is from Psalm 52, verse 8. The Lord bless you to trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. Amen.